Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PNL podcast and founder of the new PNL Brand Purpose Institute, where we work with business leaders, employees, and entrepreneurs just like you and empower them to build brands with purpose on purpose. And we do this through an extensive range of workshops, consultancy, strategic counsel, and keynotes. So if you'd like to discuss how to build your brand with purpose on purpose, please don't hesitate to get in touch at principlesandleadership.com. The new PNL podcast is now listened to by business people, leaders, employees, and entrepreneurs in over 80 countries right across the globe. And it's something we're very proud of. So this week, as my guest is based in France, I'm going to give a massive shout out to all of our listeners and supporters in France. A huge thank you to all of our French listeners for your ongoing support and belief in our global movement for more principled leadership and more purpose-led business. You are an important part of this movement. And if you'd like to help us to keep it growing, I encourage you to send a link or a recommendation to your colleagues, your managers, your business networks right across France. Let's keep the global movement for a new PL growing. This week's guest is the amazing Celine Schillinger, founder and CEO of We Need Social and author of Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. Celine is a global engagement leadership expert and helps leaders and organizations succeed and grow by engaging their clients, their partners, and their employees. So Celine, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, perhaps if we could start the discussion with you giving listeners a, a bit of an intro into what you do and who you do it for. Right. So I am an advisor in um, what I call engagement leadership or engagement enabling leadership. I have done that for the last four years after uh, leaving a large company and after actually leaving the, the corporate world in which I had been uh, for 27 years. So it's a long time in, in multiple companies, but the last one uh, I stayed 17 years, so big, lo long amount of time in multiple locations around the world. I worked uh, several years, about a decade in Asia. Uh, several years in North America and the US and, and always with global projects. So um, it, it was, uh, it was a, uh, it's been a great and full life and there's still many years to come, hopefully. But uh, I've, I've switched uh, really from uh, yeah, four years ago and became an advisor uh, yes. to organizations. And you've released a new book this month, I believe. So congratulations, Yay. first and foremost. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's titled Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. And then I read through the book over the weekend and fantastic book, firstly, um, very, Thank very you. expansive in terms of its thinking, which was brilliant. It explores how contemporary organizations can transform leadership from a top-down hegemony to one that empowers people. Um, one thing that struck me when I, when I read that particular element was top-down hegemony in a business is a it's quite a tough thing to crack because those who embrace that top-down approach do not always have the the requisite levels of self-awareness to recognize the need for change so almost paradoxically the businesses that need it most are least likely to adopt transformation in this regard mm. so how and where do we start in the transformation process with a leader that needs to transform but whose processes culture and mindset all work against that recognition mm. for change. Mm. You know what? I feel that um, the the willing, the desire for 
change, for something to change, is shared by basically everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all want things to change. The problem is we expect change to come from somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are all there. It's not just the leaders. I think blaming the leaders for not changing is a little bit too easy. Agreed. Uh, because it, it, uh, it, re it removes us from you know, thinking about our own responsibility. And I think there's, a, there's action and agency possible at all levels of the hierarchy. Um, so and anywhere where anywhere we are in the system, there is a possibility to actually first see it, and second change interactions, change patterns, even just a tiny little bit. But mm -hmm. it starts with that. So as long as we keep believing that the others need to change, my my boss, my manager, the CEO, the president, the the, the, the frontline workers, the middle managers, you know, poor them. <laughs> they're, they're always blamed for everything, middle managers. Uh, so as soon as we stop uh, with this idea and think about what we could do to change first, well, then that I think the usual, uh, the useful first step. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. We all, most of us want to change. Whether we all want to change in the same direction is probably another question. And what is the role of leadership at whatever level that happens to be? And I completely agree with your point around personal responsibility and agency, sort of leadership at all levels. But what is the role of leadership in ensuring that that, that desire to change is in line with the direction to change for the company's culture or the betterment of the company? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. It's a, it's a large question. I think the first, uh, uh, the first um, role of leadership is to create collective capacity. So how can in multiple ways, because there's not a single way to create that uh, collective capacity but how can leadership can constantly because it's it's an it's an everyday work can constantly uh, enable relationship forming across the system through in and relationships i i believe are better formed through joint action mm -hmm. not just through you know talking with one another because we, 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 I can talk to you, you're very different, and we're, we're all, we both might stay on, on what we believe in, that's it, right? Uh, while if we are brought to work together around, uh, on a common piece of work, which, not, not any piece of work, but a piece of work that is related to something that touches on our values, something mm -hmm. that touches on sense of purpose. And I believe that's, uh, that, so that leads me to uh, another very important role of leadership that is to, to connect um, the collective to a common purpose or to make the collective want to connect because you, you cannot, uh, it would be too easy you know, if you could manipulate people and make them believe something. No, it doesn't work this way. Only maybe in fascist states, but uh, an organization hopefully, hopefully uh, does not behave like that. So how can you create uh, want to at massive scale? And it starts with um, individual, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, person-to-person um, relation enablement. 
And how do we, so uh, in, to summarize, how can leaders create through actions, through their own behaviors, through their own, by enabling, by supporting, by creating, you know, uh, possibilities and spaces, uh, by adopting methodologies, etc., that uh, may feel um, for them a, a little bit frustrating if they're not used mm -hmm. to that, that is uh, stepping back a little not stepping back in the sense of oh I, I do nothing and I leave them you know I leave people you know do, do something together no no it, it's uh, more subtle than that more sophisticated it requires more work <laughs> uh, and there's uh, I mean there's lots of methodologies and books that can help in that uh, respect but how can uh, a leader step uh, uh, step into the collective relationship uh, and community forming really mm -hmm. so that's a, it's a long answer to a big question. I could talk <laughs> about it for many more hours, but uh, uh, people may read the book and see more answers about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Purpose is a big focus in business at the moment, and it's certainly a focus mm. for the new PL as well. Um, and I have a lot of conversations around values and visions and purpose with with both the guests and the new PL and my clients as well. And one thing that strikes me, and I'd love to get your view on it, we have CEOs and leaders who present the vision for the business, who present the purpose for the business. But I often wonder in that process whether they underestimate the, the level of subjectivity that their audience, that the employees bring yeah. to listening to that vision or to adopting that purpose, because no one comes to a new vision in a new company with true objectivity. They come with the, the view of the last three CEOs who gave them a vision and never acted on it, as, as you Correct. suggested, you know, action, not words. So they come to it with quite a degree of cynicism and quite a, quite a degree of subjectivity. Mm. Do you think leaders underestimate the level of communication and action that is required to install confidence and trust as they begin that journey with employees? Oh, totally. They totally underestimate. Uh, possibly because they, uh, they they want to succeed, they are impatient mm -hmm. to succeed, they are in under enormous pressure to succeed. Um, they are surrounded or they surround themselves by people who tell them what they want to hear. Uh, so there's, there are many reasons that uh, contribute, unfortunately, uh, to this lack of awareness, mm -hmm. uh, in, including self-awareness. Uh, there's also this model of leader, you know, sort of a heroic kind of leader that we, um, we are all uh, referring to in a way. Yeah? It's not just... A, uh, CEOs, or we 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 all tend to it, it's it's profoundly built in our in our psyche. I think it's in the human history. You know, the, yeah. the hero's journey, the sort of messianic uh, appeal to a savior, or somebody who will save us. You can see that uh, happening right now with the war in Ukraine, for example, where uh, Zelensky, who is absolutely admirable, he's an absolutely admirable human being, but he is like sort of uh, transformed into, you know, um, a godlike uh, figure, you know, uh, while while of course the, uh, uh, the, the the battle is led by millions of Ukrainians on the mm -hmm. field every day and, and by their supporters. And so, but we tend to want to simplify the story. And so this, this narrative, um, which is everywhere, 
probably contaminates uh, those who uh, who rise uh, to the top of organizations, uh, whatever their size, huh? and mm -hmm. they believe, and that's something that Barry Oshry uh, used to, to say, uh, they, we tend to adopt uh, blind reflexes. So the, that Barry Oshry speaks about the, the dance of blind reflex. And when we are, we, we're appointed at the top of an organization, we tend to suck up responsibility all to ourselves mm -hmm. while the, uh, the appropriate uh, movement to, to set is to actually inject responsibility in the system. But that's hard because then some leaders might say, oh, but, uh, you know, I've been chosen, I've been appointed. So that means, you know, I have special skills and special, you know, duty, responsibility to, uh, to deliver results. And that's where, you know, this impatience and this pressure uh, tend to uh, narrow down uh, the vision mm -hmm. of, of, of leaders who might then uh, be, be, be tempted to instrumentalize you know, others, you know, or, or disregard their own capacity, their own agency and perspectives, as you rightly mentioned in the beginning. So there's some really interesting points there on, on heroic leadership. And you talk in the book about more desire for collective leadership, for more collective decision-making, for a leadership that recognizes with more empathy the, the needs and the requirements and the agency of empowerment, if you like. But you're, one of your countrymen over 100 years ago, Emil Durkheim, the sociologist, he talked about the cult of the individual replacing Christianity, that yeah. we wouldn't move towards secularism, we'd move towards the cult of personality. That is really what the heroic leader is built on, and we see it all around the world, whether in celebrities, sports people, business people, whatever it happens to mm. be. Mm. So how do we move to a, it's not unrealistic to move to a world of true transformational leadership when, you know, as you say, this, this idea of the heroic leader is so embedded in our thinking and in our, in our, in our mental approach. Mm. I think I have seen in action uh, on the field, in organizations, people shifting uh, shifting identities from an identity very much focused on their own role and position in the hierarchy or their own, you know, um, place in, in their country, etc., to an identity that encompasses that a broader sense of identity. So people encompassing more of the whole in their own identity. So people are shifting from being, you know, I'm a I'm a knowledge worker on that site in that country working on whatever finance or production to I'm an activist for a cause and I joined forces with my co-activists. They happen to be my colleagues and we, so there's, uh, I have seen uh, a, a sense of collective being built, a real one, you know, not mm -hmm. a, the pretense uh, sense of collective when uh, that, that some companies sometimes refer to they, they believe that uh, some believe that as long as soon as you enter a company you are part of a collective i don't think it's true because yeah. a collective is is uh, bonded by human connections you know by by a sense of i want to be part of that collective of that group not uh, and not only you know i'm, I'm receiving a paycheck <laughs> from an organization that happens to employ other people uh, so um, i i think it is um on the one hand um possible 
uh, it is totally possible. On the other hand, um, we need to actually leverage, and that's really, I think, an interesting element in your question. We need to leverage our individual aspirations for that. Yes. It's not about uh, shaping people into a, a unique you know, mold so that people behave and act uh, and think the same. So it's uh, recognizing the strong individuality, individuation, you know, the need for individual recognition, et cetera. And, and, and like in judo, you know, you, 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 you leverage something to, to, to make it a strength. And that's mm -hmm. exactly it. Instead of seeing that, uh, complaining about, oh, you know, uh, employees have uh, individual aspirations. Uh, you, you can't make them uh, uh, do what you want. And uh, it's horrible, et cetera. No, no, no. I think it's, uh, there are ways to actually make that a strength. Yes. Uh, and um, make it so that employees will, from their own will, want to contribute, want to feel engaged. And I think that's the only way because you can't force anyone anymore. Uh, people have um, there, there are people have become more aware of mm -hmm. what's possible. And the COVID has been an accelerator in that respect. Yes, I agree. I agree. You discuss in the book the, the five crises, or six if you include the pandemic now, that have led to the evolution of society or an industry from an industrial world to, to a knowledge-based industry. Um, and you state that today we need leaders who can gain a better understanding of the world around them, who can facilitate connections between different domains and areas of expertise, and who can enable us to change what doesn't work. And it strikes me that so much of this comes down to an acute and very active sense of curiosity, the desire to mm -hmm. seek out questions rather than just facilitate answers. And I often think this is missing. This is a missing ingredient in elements of business today. How do we encourage more natural curiosity in our leaders? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a big question as well, because everything, uh, it seems, goes against uh, this curiosity nowadays. Uh, our agendas are fully packed, uh, our, you know, social streams or whatever, you know, networks, information channels are downloading, you know, mm -hmm. massive amounts of information on us. And it's, it's really hard to, to build that capacity, that muscle, and to, to, to keep building it throughout a successful career. Uh, so uh, I don't know how to trigger that. Uh, I think it starts early and it starts with uh, young people, um, but it can continue through artistic experiences, conversations with people who are different, uh, really trying to, traveling to other countries, to, to places we've never been, um, breaking out, try, making constant effort to, to move out of our bubble mm -hmm. rather than consolidating it. It's, it's comfortable to be in our bubble, to, to see only people we, we know, et cetera. It's nice, it's lovely, but then it, it um, solidifies uh, our way of thinking and then it, it progressively prevents uh, this curiosity. So that's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I, I want to um, just uh, go back to what you said about the, the massive uh, 
uh, scale of, uh, of the, the topics covered by the book. And indeed, it's, uh, it's what uh, Amy Edmondson has uh, noticed as well. She says it's sweeping. <laughs> she <laughs> says it's, it's vast. And um, I just received this uh, comment from a reader, which I find uh, super interesting. He says, the book ties up the macro with the, the micro wise. And he says it, it's uh, hopefully sets an emergent direction. And he adds, it's new, it's pioneering, it's not a framework. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to, to stop here for a second. It's not a framework, exactly, on yeah. purpose, uh, because frameworks are, yeah, useful in a way, but they are also reductionist mm -hmm. uh, and they contribute to our addiction to quick fixes, to, yeah. to solutions. We are addicted to solutions and we have lost the ability. So going back to your question on curiosity, we have lost the ability or the, the, the taste for exploration. Yes. So, and instead I suggest we explore with our colleagues, with our coworkers, with our managers, what can we, what is happening now to our organization and what can we do together about it? You mentioned in some of the research that I did in advance of this that leadership has become obsolete in most organizations. And I thought that was a really bold statement and I really wanted to <laughs> explore that a little bit more with you um, because it almost seems counterintuitive, but I'm sure there's a very, very clear direction behind it. So I'd love you to, to just start this part of the conversation by, by outlining what you mean by that statement. Yes, um, I think society has evolved enormously. We have, we are no longer the people that our parents or our grandparents used to be. We are not even the people we were in the beginning of our career. I mean, I've been there for 30 years and, and certainly my expectations 30 years ago were very different. And so as much as we have evolved under the um, uh, the influence of social social trends, technology, uh, globalization, et cetera, et cetera. The, uh, the modes, the management um, patterns, the patterns or the, the, the even um, some say it's an ideology, the ideology of leadership has not changed. And you still have uh, this hierarchical thinking, for example, you know, where senior leadership is presumed to have better judgment than people below. Mm -hmm. Why would that be? You know, well, it, it might have been right. It might have been true in the past. Those people who rose through the ranks were generally the most educated. Education was not available to, to everyone, far from that. So there they were... There were possibly, you know, reasons uh, behind that kind of thinking, but these reasons are gone. Uh, now we live in, in complexity, we live in uh, rapid changes, we live in the knowledge uh, economy where most of the time now leaders, managers know less about a certain field than the people mm -hmm. who report to them. Uh, so how can we still, you know, hang on to those beliefs where, and that's just an example among many, where senior leadership knows better. And for example, senior leadership can evaluate you, you know, evaluation, 
what is that? Evaluation tells a lot about the people who, the person who evaluates you, <laughs> not about the person who mm -hmm. is being evaluated. Uh, so all of these are, yeah, completely obsolete. They are part of a corporate theater uh, that uh, we, we keep, uh, we, we entertain, but, and we maintain that at a terrible cost. Uh, the cost of burnout, the cost of disengagement, the cost of um, people leaving the workforce completely disgusted, and uh, and even senior leaders not happy, mm -hmm. even them. Um, so we really need to to change something about it. And I don't expect um, um, some miracle change to come from uh, somewhere. I think there is possibility in every in each and every organization to make small changes, small changes in conversations, in behaviors, in who's, uh, who's talking about what, how do we make decisions, et cetera. And it doesn't take necessarily uh, frameworks, uh, shifting to you know, new models. Uh, I think new, new models are just keep things the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead it's about shifting to co-creating with our colleagues in context to solve together the current problems. But who makes the, and, and, I, and I do agree with you, but who makes the, the decision, let's mm. say the final decision or the first decision, who makes yeah. the decision to, to move that way or mm. once they've co-collaborated to settle on something, there is, there is still a, a decision to be made at some level by someone, isn't there, that to move their company forward, to create the tone and vision of the, the business and the culture? Yes, you're right. So in a way, you could say, well, the person who has uh, the right to sign a check uh, has the power in the end, you know, the ultimate power. But you don't even need that. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example that uh, arose just last week, the end of last week. I received a, a message. Um, I actually got a call from a person working in a small IT company in the R&D department. And the R&D department was about to reorganize to gain in efficiency. And the there were three leaders, three, the three senior leaders of that IT department were discussing about the new reorganization, how would they do, who would shift to where, etc. And the plan was to then gather the rest of the staff to announce what the organization was about. Well, that's what companies do usually. But then this woman, who's not part of the three, saw a video about the book and reached out to them and said, hey, maybe we could do things differently. So they engaged into a conversation with three, six people in total, the three mm -hmm. leaders, and three additional people from the rest of the organization, including that woman. And they discussed not about the reorg, but about building a community inside the organization mm -hmm. to reflect together around the changes and what needs to be done and how they could do that together. So there were discussions between the six, you know, they, they, they did not uh, right away uh, move to, to, to there. They, they wondered, you know, how, what if a lot of people want to join? How do we make decisions? Blah, blah, blah. But then they decided to give it a go. So again, that's last week, you know, just very recent. Mm -hmm. And she said to me in the call, she said, it's extraordinary. We already have volunteers. We already have energy. We already have ideas that the leaders had never thought of. It's amazing. She said yes. that it's, it has already changed things before it even started. <laughs> yeah. 
So you see, it doesn't take necessarily resources. Well, maybe it takes a decision to reduce a little bit the amount of money we spend on the same old consultants mm -hmm. who bring absolutely nothing new and instead spend more, maybe if needed, more money on enabling people from inside the company, enabling the internal knowledge to connect, to flow, to flourish. That would be a great decision. So that's a really good example. And, and key to the success of examples like that, I guess, is bringing, as you've highlighted, a more diverse range of voices into that conversation from the outset. And, and what you often find as a result is a shared set of expectations that start to deliver, which as soon as you set the expectations and they're understood and shared, the more likely the success of the project or the program is. Mm -hmm. And you discuss the fragmentation of expectations in your book. And I found that really interesting. And I'd love you to, to outline that in a little bit more detail for the listeners as to what, what it means and what it means for the future of leadership. Yes, uh, the fragmentation of expectations relates a little bit to the individualism or individuation we mentioned before. It's about um, considering that people are not just one large group, a large mass, you know, that you can uh, drive here or there easily. Uh, the large uh, collective narratives that used to bond people together and sort of homogenize uh, thinking, uh, those things have disappeared. You know, the mm -hmm. church, the, well, in most countries, uh, the uh, political parties, the, those kind of, uh, uh, of uh, coordination structures tend to uh, lose strength. And so we need to recognize, and people are like moving across the world, changing countries, changing organizations, they, the loyalty, you know, of a, you know, twin, a, a lifetime employee, right? all this is gone. We need to recognize that the gig economy, you know, is there. Uh, more than half of uh, US workers are now gig workers. So how do you create a collective, because organizations need to have everybody work together mm -hmm. uh, for the same, for a single goal. So how, but how do you make that when you have uh, less possibilities to, when there's less homogeneity yeah? mm -hmm. and, uh, and people are responding to very different um, uh, desires, goals, et cetera. All this, all this being, you know, fueled by marketing, by, you know, we're so, our in individuality is cultivated uh, in, as, as citizens. Why would we give it away as workers? Hmm? Mm -hmm. So instead, I think we need to, uh, and there are lots of possibilities to do that as leaders, we need to cultivate and, and actually you know, leverage this uh, so that people um, find ways in their workplace to flourish as individuals, mm -hmm. Hmm? but flourish as individuals together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Um, and so it, this is exactly the opposite of treating people like robots, mm -hmm. which current workplaces uh, do to a large extent, hmm? where we try to ignore uh, people's individuality. 
and uh, and uh, sub submerge them with processes and so that they are quite interchangeable mm -hmm. uh, and all this contributes to burnout and disengagement etc so instead there are other ways by which we can uh, really uh, uh, yeah nurture the individuality what makes people different from one, one another uh, it, this is it is from those micro or big differences that innovation creativity comes that's what we need today so i'd like to explore that a little bit more because there's a lot of great points to unpack in that answer and you talked about the need for us to flourish individually but together Mm -hmm. And you've talked about the role of creativity in that, and there's plenty of evidence to support the contention that creativity and innovation flourish when, when people are in the same room and they're collaborating and listening to and feeding off each other and all those non-verbal clues that get excite, people excited within a room in terms of creativity and innovation. Mm -hmm. And we have some challenges with that in terms of the, the hybrid work environment um, and the desire for employers to bring employees back to a physical office and the desire for employees to find a better balance to their life like they've had in the last two years. And again, you mentioned earlier about the power imbalance that shifted the empowerment towards employees. How do employers encourage employees or engage employees to bring them back into the office for at least part of the week for all of those important things as human socialization, creativity, mm -hmm. innovation, all of those things that work well as a team, as a face-to-face as -face team. How, do, how does a leader create that environment and create that incentive and engagement to, mm -hmm. to encourage them back into the office for a period of time? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, in the first answer to that question is pretty obvious and <laughs> not very original it's by role modeling mm -hmm. uh, when you see that most uh, there was an article the other day where uh, made me roll my eyes to the <laughs> to the ceiling <laughs> again where, where you see many leaders or many companies uh, call for their employees to return to the office but the senior leadership leaders don't yes yes uh, so that's a fundamental discrepancy that makes uh, all messages uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first thing, role modeling. The second thing it would be consistency or coherence, I would say, coherence mm -hmm. uh, in, our, in this world that I, I call for, where people uh, connect by themselves because they want to, to a shared purpose and act together against it, then um, consistency of action is critical. So for example, a company cannot uh, invite people to innovate and then sack people, mm -hmm. those who innovate because they are they, they went a little bit off process or because you know so you have to have i know things are complex but it's too easy to to say to employees oh you need to learn to manage polarities for example mm -hmm. you know because then it, it puts on on individual shoulders the task of combining um yeah opposites uh, and opposites that do not necessarily go together. So it's mm -hmm. it's the task of leadership, not not individuals uh, in organizations, to create a sense this sense of coherence. So it it, do, it will require some hard work around 
processes and compliance and uh, and bureaucracy and uh, etc. Uh, way, ways of doing etc. What can we challenge? What can we challenge together? What for etc. Because uh, if, for example, another example is if you ask people to work collaboratively, do that, but then you you keep the performance management system tied to individual performance yes. or just a symbolic uh, aspect of a collective reward that is uh, actually means that means for nothing. So there are those those uh, discrepancies uh, inconsistencies that need to be addressed it, mm -hmm. it's too easy to to encourage people to be change agents but then leave hr completely <laughs> unchanged yes. right yeah will not work yeah, i agree sometimes i look at, at business leaders those i speak to and many others out there in the market and they seem to have to to your point right at the beginning of this podcast they seem to have so many competing demands on their character, you know, and it almost creates a sense of inertia. We want, we call for decisive leadership, but leadership that brings others into the decision-making process. We ask for collaborative, but instantly responsive leadership. We ask for courageous, but stable leadership or <laughs> visionary yeah. leadership, but those who are across the detail as well, yeah. creative leadership, but functional leadership. Yeah. It's a huge amount of characteristics to yeah. put upon a leader. Exactly. Um, and we have the same, all leaders have the same fallibilities, weaknesses, insecurities, worries as, as all of us, because leaders are people the same as everyone else. Yeah. So how do we build future leaders that are ready for the challenges of the fourth industrial revolution, the post-pandemic world, and all these other cliches that we face that are, that are very real, the environmental crisis? How do we create those characteristics, but not put them in a, in such a conflict that creates the inertia in the process yes i think that's a great question um, possibly by realizing all of us that leadership is a collective capacity mm -hmm. it's not an individual skill set if we keep on expecting some um, exceptional people to stand out because they manage they they have all these abilities we can we can keep waiting uh, for a very long time <laughs> or we'll have the same few kind of people you know very privileged very mm -hmm. who, who've been uh, to the best schools and who who have a sort of uh, ease in um, convincing others for example you know but that leads to the point where we are now that is the and the ability the inability of businesses to solve a mega crisis the inability of society to deal with populism and, and hate and division so instead i think it's really time to recognize the collective nature of leadership mm -hmm. and therefore to create many more to enable to recognize where where this leadership already exists and and there are many many pockets of, of energy in the workplace that look like that where the, there's this uh, at least a proto form of uh, collective leadership well that's what we need to nurture develop promote highlight etc and then you'll see different kind of leaders uh, rising through the ranks and, and then maybe we will be tempted rather than you know cutting them off or, or having them leave the company maybe 
at some point will recognize their um, their their leadership and, uh, and provide them with opportunities at the top of uh, of the organizations. Instead, we keep promoting clones, mm -hmm. uh, always the same kind of people, very little gender diversity, uh, extremely little uh, uh, cultural diversity. So it's uh, it's a shame. There's a, we can do much better. Mm, I agree. I agree. Celine, we always end the podcast with our guests offering listeners with one or two pieces of final wisdom that they can go away and practically apply in the business that they could think about and start taking action on tomorrow. From your perspective, what would those one or two pieces of final wisdom be for our listeners? So uh, one or two pieces of wisdom uh, would be, for example, to seek to have a different conversation, uh, either a different conversation with people you're, you already know, or mm -hmm. a, a conversation with people you don't already know. Uh, seek out to um, get out of your comfort zone or expand your comfort zone would be my possibly a better metaphor. Uh, go and um, go and try to map, try to identify uh, who's doing interesting stuff. Who's the who are the creative ones? What what's happening? Who are those uh, those people with um, yeah a, a different set of uh, of interests? And what are the different connections? What what new connections can you contribute to? You know that that would be uh, that would be super interesting. Um, and there are so many examples. Uh, I can't uh, bring bring them all, but uh, I remember, for example, a, an art exhibition uh, mm -hmm. organized by the IT department of mm -hmm. a company. They had identified that many of their colleagues of their of the employees had actually an artistic skill, and well they created this so there were photographers and painters and you name it and that was super interesting because it changed yes. you know how people perceived each other that, oh okay you're not just you know whatever the cloud expert or the you're also um a great photographer and even if yeah. it's not great well it's super interesting because uh, that's your passion and so we talk about that and so i would really encourage to uh, people to to seek for for that humanness you know yes. in in other people because that's a great uh, connector that's a great piece of advice to end on celine for those who would like to to order your fantastic book or to get in <laughs> touch with you what are your uh, where can they find it what are your links thank you so much so my link uh, you can find me on twitter uh, at celine shill you can find me on LinkedIn, on uh, Instagram. I have an Instagram called Dare to Unlead. I like the book. Uh, you can find me a, a little bit everywhere. But uh, yeah, get the book. It's the it's my first ever book. Uh, so I I am absolutely thrilled to see uh, <laughs> uh, reviews, uh, comments. Uh, it, it's been a long, solitary work. And now I'm craving for interactions with readers. So fantastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we will uh, we'll put the links in the notes that accompany the podcast as well lovely celine thank you so much for your time on the new pnl today it's been a, it's been a wonderful conversation thank you thank you paul as celine said if you'd like to learn more about what she does please go to we need and you'll find the links to purchase her book and all of her other social links and the notes that accompany this podcast 
And if you've enjoyed the conversation with Celine today, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And we invite you to become an official member of the new PNL global movement. Just go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. We would love to have you as part of our official community. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PNL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great day.